God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ Place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. This week, we want to talk about the advent of joy. I would like to also mention to you that this candle that we light for the advent of joy is also called the shepherd's candle. And you'll see why. If you would, grab your Bibles if you brought them. If not, you can pay attention to the screens. We're going to go to Luke's Gospel. Yes, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. How many would just be honest? You'd be terrified too. Yes, amen. Verse 10, but the angel assured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. How many people? All people. All people. Verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in the strips of cloth, lying in a manger. If we were to read on, we'd find that a whole host of angels show up with these shepherds and they start singing and glorifying God in the highest. And and I love what C.S. Lewis had to say about, about heaven. He said this, that joy, unspeakable joy, is serious business in the kingdom of heaven. So here's what I want to ask you to do for just a moment. I want you to reflect with me and just think about your happiest Christmas. And you got to zero it in. So we got to fight for your minds right now. What was it that happened? Maybe it was the last Christmas with a loved one. Maybe it was a certain gift that you got as a little kid. And to this day, like me, you've kind of hung on to it. Now, for some of you, I realize you don't have happy Christmas memories, so you can expand your timeline. Maybe it was when you graduated high school or you got your first car or maybe you bought your puppy, you know, and like Lance loves that. Um, um, or it could be the birth of a child. You know, whatever. But I mean, just what, think of that moment. I want to get quiet for a second. Think about it. What was it? I promise you that when you experience that happiness and that joy, it blessed somebody else. I promise you it did. It became contagious. Even if it was a quiet happiness, a contentedness, it's, there's something, there's almost a, a charisma with that. And I bring this up because as those angels are proclaiming this good news that's going to bring joy to all people, folks, I don't know about you, but I want to be in the all, you know? Um, and so when they're proclaiming this, I promise you, it's not just news they're sharing, they're experiencing this joy. It's the energy is, it, it, man, they're, it, they're, the shepherds are feeling it. They're understanding this is a big deal. The advent is, is here, the coming of the Messiah. And, and, and listen, when most pastors teach on the advent of joy, the real obvious thing to do here is to contrast happiness with biblical joy. And there's merit to it. I mean, you say, Rick, why are you talking about happiness and joyful memories? Isn't that stuff all temporary? I mean, yeah, and that's where the preacher would say, joy is much deeper. And and it is. And like I said, there's merit to contrasting happiness with biblical joy. But I I don't want to do that this weekend. You say, Rick, what do you mean, the contrast? Well, for example, um, happiness is achieved externally, while joy is generally achieved internally. So there's things like that about happiness versus biblical joy. But that's not where I want to go this weekend. So you're saying, ah, stop, why not? 
because I want you to recognize how God made you. God created you with the ability to smile, to be blessed by a person or a thing or an object. He created within you this capacity to know the taste of happiness. And unfortunately, our world has made that a God and many people pursue it. That was never God's intent for for that to become the end all. But listen to me, it was God's intent for you to know happiness, for you to know joy. See, I believe God gave us the capacity to experience happiness as a foretaste of his joy. Or put it this way, I'm gonna put it up on the screens for you. Happiness at its very worst is an imitation of joy. But at its very best, it's a foretaste of joy. You know, when you open up the gifts come Christmas morning, or you watch your children open up gifts, or you're with your loved ones and they're opening up their gifts, and you see that, that delight on their face, and you get blessed by it, it's a foretaste. One of what God senses for you, but what he wants you to have in a deeper sense. It's a foretaste. It's a foretaste. And it all hinged, this happiness and this joy that the angels are talking about, it all hinged on God sending his son. This advent of joy hinges on Christmas, on the birth of Christ. And I love how it's not exclusive. It's, it's for all people. We, we sometimes forget that, don't we? We kind of get in our, in our denominations or in our certain groupings, and we forget that it's for all people, people that don't look like us, vote like us, act like us. Come on, somebody. And that's why we're encouraging everybody to, man, invite people to Christmas Eve because the last thing you want to do is bottle up joy. So here's what I want to do in the next few minutes. I want to share with you two qualities of God that I believe can help you calibrate your heart for the advent of joy. And the very first one is, is, and some of you say you're going to recognize it, but others of you, this is going to sound foreign. Here it is. God, my friends, is joyful. God is joyful. It's his nature It's all over the Bible. From cover to cover, God is a God of joy. And some of you, you're fighting this because seriously, in your mind, maybe you never say this, but here's what you think. You think, no way. I mean, the Old Testament, he's always angry. You know, he's cranky. And then the New Testament, you know, he's nice. It's like he got converted or something. (laughs) But that's not true. He's a God of joy throughout the Bible. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to walk you through some Old Testament passages to illustrate this for you so that you're more open to his nature and the joy he wants you to experience this Christmas. So uh, the first passage I want to show you is Isaiah 62. It's a prophet Isaiah, six to 700 years before Christ is born. Listen to what the prophet says. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. Look how builders capitalize there. As a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so will your God rejoice over you. How many of you have ever thought, man, God just rejoices over me? Sometimes we sing a song, we're talking about how God is proud of me, and it's like, I don't know about you, but that's hard for me sometimes to digest, because I know me. But God does, he rejoices over his children. Even as my father rejoiced over me and I opened up those army sets. God rejoices. I mean, and I love this illustration that the prophet gives us of a wedding. I mean, have you ever gone to a wedding where the bridegroom is like, he sees the bride and all of a sudden he starts weeping out of terror? Maybe later, but not at the wedding. No, man, I've never been to a wedding where the groom is going like, ah! He's like lit up. My son Joshua, when Kelsey started walking down the aisle, he actually got audible. He went, yes! I mean, The bridegroom is filled with 
with love and pride and man, we're talking delight and pure joy. I've never seen a groom. I've never seen a groom with horror on his face or a disgust. It's pure joy and delight. And that's what God does when he sees you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so God rejoices over you. Now look at Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. How often do you imagine God singing over you? God's singing over you. God's singing over us with joy. You know, you really won't understand who God is completely until you understand this about him, that God is the most joyful being in the universe. It's the truth. You say, yeah, Baruch, how come there's sorrow and there's anger and we see how God is, you know, uh, broken over humanity and yeah, sorrow and anger are temporary responses to a fallen world. But God's posture is one of joy. See, some of us have a wrong narrative in our head about God. I like how David, even David, who had blown it so many times, this beautiful picture of redemption, King David, I love how he understood this. And you can see it in Psalms 30. Listen to what he says. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is a lifetime. Look at the contrast there. Anger is temporary, but his favor is a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes what? In the morning. The sorrow of God and the anger of God are his temporary responses to a fallen world, and they will be banished someday forever on the day when God sets the world right, which happens in one of two ways for you. Either it's the second advent and his second coming, or it's our homecoming when we come home to God. Everything is set right. And if you're a Christ follower, then you know this, but you may not have experienced it. But our God's a God of joy. We see it first and foremost from Jesus himself. Here's what Jesus said. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And if you read the New Testament, you see, man, Jesus was somebody who loved to have fun. He was a joy to be around, so much so that little kids, man, they would flock to Jesus. Have you ever seen kids flock to a killjoy? Kids wanted to be around Jesus. And it's with this in mind, I want to bring you to the second truth, really, about God that I would love for us to digest. So first of all, we know God is a God of joy. He's a God of infinite joy. But here's a second truth, that God wants you to experience his joy. God wants you to experience his joy. As a matter of fact, one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit that has been commissioned by God to live in us is to cultivate joy in us. You can find it, how Paul, he, he, he describes, describes it as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. I'll read it to you here, verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, what? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You know, no one's going to arrest you for being too joyful. They might actually want to know why you're so joyful. Yeah. Isn't it a shame that we have some people that call themselves Christians and they're some of the most bitter, cranky people in the world? And it makes me wonder, have they met the same Savior we've met here who wants us to know joy? And if you're going through a season where you're having trouble making sense of this and you feel like it's incongruent with your life, then I believe that God wants to do something before you leave today. 
Check out what happens in John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus is talking to his disciples about abiding in him and following his commands. And I want you to hear the heart of it, why Jesus wants his people to abide in him. Listen to what he says. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be, what? In you, and that your joy may be full. That's God's hope for us, to experience his joy. Two chapters later, Jesus is praying And we get a chance to listen to a very intimate prayer of his. I I want you to listen to these words. He's talking to the Father. And he says, I'm coming to you now, verse 13. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Do you hear the heart of God here? God wants you to experience joy. You know what Nehemiah said? Nehemiah, Nehemiah, man, was helping rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and they hadn't heard the word of God spoken over them as a people. And they first started hearing it for the first time in their lives and it broke them and they were, they were ashamed and they were, they were just broken over not fulfilling the, the, the law and not living the way God wanted them to live. And you know what Nehemiah said? He said, stop your crying because guess what needs to happen right now? The joy of the Lord needs to be your strength. There comes a time when your past no longer haunts you and your present no longer shackles you and you experience the joy of the Lord and it begins to do something in you that no man, no counselor, no object could ever do. It's the joy of the Lord. It's the advent of joy in our lives that comes from Jesus. And God wants you to be full. So when we're not full, when we're running half empty, listen, I've been there before. It's not, it's not God. He's not the one missing. It's not his joy that's changed. It's, it's been my attitude. It's... Here's the thing about joy. Okay, I've shared with you two truths, that, that God is a God of infinite joy, that God wants you to be filled with his joy. But I'd like to give you now two practical ways for you to experience the advent of joy personally. And I'm going to start off by, this is not one of the first two, first two things. I'm just going to be real honest with you. They're very simple to apply. I mean, joy, understanding how joy is to operate in our life, it's simple to understand, but it's not easy to implement because of our nature generally. I brought my glasses up here because um, I have 20-20 vision, quite honestly, I, I, I do. But when you get older, sometimes your zoomer, I don't know what they call it medically, I call it a zoomer, the zoomer sticks. And so for me to read what's on the page, many times I gotta put these on and things become clearer. And my prayer has been that, that this weekend, God would do something in you that where he helps you put your glasses on or he helps you with your nature. Your nature wants to rob you of joy. The old man wants you to think that this is, oh, that's fine for somebody else, but it's not for you. That's a lie. I don't care what you're going through. You can experience joy. But we've got to be mindful that of this being a, 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 a work that God can do in us and not allow our nature or the season rob us of God's joy. We are, we all, you know, this season especially, we Man, we all have our agendas, our deadlines, our expectations. We're going full throttle during the Christmas season. It's like a Roman Empire-type census of sorts, telling how much money we can spend and, and how mesmerized we can be with sentimentalism. All the time, going, 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 not realizing that we're leaving no room for him in our hearts. And my hope is that you will remember every time you crack a smile, every time something brings a little delight to you, every moment you see someone else experiencing joy that remind you that that's a foretaste of something God wants to do deeper in you. That's what he wants. That's what he wants for you. So what are the two things? What are the two things? Here's the first one that I hope will calibrate your heart for the advent of joy. 
Here's the first thing. It's, it's easy. I mean, excuse me, it's simple. It's just not easy to, to really to do. It's called reflect. Look what David said. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures, what? Forevermore. Each night, I want to challenge you for the next seven days. Just seven days. Each night before you fall asleep. Don't, you don't fall asleep watching a show. You don't fall asleep reading a book. I'm asking you just to reflect. This is a pause for you to put a pause on your day. You may be dead tired, but before you let yourself fall asleep, Bruce, that means before you put your head on the pillow, you stay seated, you seat up, you stay seated up or something. But whatever you got to do, you take a moment and you just reflect. You reflect on where you can see God's fingerprints on your day and how he loved you or how he loved others. See, David knew where joy was to be found. We need to quiet ourselves to actually enjoy his presence. And as a result, his presence will bring us joy. Folks, this is not natural for your lead pastor. I am, I'm like, I'm loud when I get up. And I'm loud when I go to bed. I mean, it's not natural for me to quiet myself, to bring silence. But I have found for the last, man, I don't know, see, for the last three weeks or so, I've been, I've been doing this during this Advent season. I, I do our devotional in the morning that we're doing through you version as a church. But then I've also been taking seven to 10 minutes in the evening and just reflecting on my day where I've seen God's fingerprints. And it's been so cool what he's done. Going to bed with a joy and a smile, knowing no matter how crazy my next day is, he's got me because I saw how faithful he was that day. It's beautiful. And I sleep better. I wake up stronger. I love what the psalmist said in Psalms 46. He said, be still and know that I am God. He said, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. But look what comes before all the exalting. He says, be still. God says, be still and know that I am God. So each night this week, I don't think some of you aren't looking at me like, I'm taking you, like you're taking me serious here. I need you. If you're a Christ follower and you call Christ's place home, each day this week, when the kids are asleep or, or whatever, you don't watch a show before you go to bed. You, you, some of us, we don't want to be still because we don't want to remember our day. Some of us, we don't want to be still because we don't want to think about what's coming on tomorrow. So this is going to be a discipline. It's going to be an exercise. And you're going to actually reflect on what God has done, not what you did, what God has done in your day. And it could be that during this time, while you're reflecting it, it would be helpful for some of us, man, to reflect even maybe on the promises of God. So I want to encourage you that each night this week, you spend some time reflecting. And I know some of you are going through a hard time. So I'm going to lean in on this for just a moment. This is a great time to reflect on some promises of God because you may not be experiencing joy now. Maybe it's even hard to see his, his hand on your life throughout the day. Then it's really important for you to take a moment and sink in on his promises. Uh, I have a good friend who's probably really close. Unless God intervenes and does a, mira- a miracle, he's going he's gonna to go home soon. And so I've been reflecting on a promise of God found in Revelation chapter 21. And this is really only a promise for people who know Jesus. And, and so I'm gonna read it to you. It's 21 verse four, he says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There's gonna come a day, whether it's at the second advent or in our homecoming, where that promise is gonna be realized. And that can bring joy. Matter of fact, it kind of leads me to the second thing I need you to do, and it's called rejoice. So the first thing is this, we're going to reflect at nighttime. Every, every night before we go to bed, we're going to reflect on, 
on God's hand in our lives. And maybe that means rolling around some promises. But here's the second thing we're going to do. We're going to rejoice. But we're not going to rejoice necessarily in the night. You can do it in the night. I'd like you to find a way to rejoice throughout the day. Look what Paul says here. He says in Philippians 4, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord, what? Always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. Some of you don't know this, but Paul wrote this when he was in prison. He says, rejoice always. You know, you can be in prison. You can be going through a difficult time, and you can begin to exercise this this muscle of showing gratitude to God, and it can be something beautiful. Why? Because gratitude is not merely an emotion. It's an attitude. And it's from the attitude of gratitude that God will actually, through your faith, bring joy. We have a teaching around, it's a principle we talk about, right decisions bring right emotions. Right decisions bring right feelings. And, And this is true. When you begin to practice gratitude, it's beautiful what God will do in your life. And you'll begin to see things that you couldn't see before. All of a sudden, your vision gets restored and things become clearer. Why? Because you're putting your hope and you're rejoicing in who you know is your hope. It becomes powerful. Gratitude is a choice. It's why James in chapter one, verse two can say this. He said, count it all joy, my brothers. Don't be calling me brother when you're gonna tell me to rejoice when I'm going through a hard time. But he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What? How can I count it all joy? That word count, by the way, is a financial term in the Greek, and it means to evaluate. Here's what James is saying. Start reevaluating how you perceive your trials that are temporary, that God is moving behind the scenes, and that while you may not understand it, he wants joy to come in the morning for you, that he's got your best interest in mind, that he's got the bigger picture in mind. James is saying, man, recognize something here, that, that God wants you not to be so caught up in the present to where you miss the outcome of what he will accomplish through trials. There's a cool Hebrew word. It's called dayenu, dayenu. And it's a deep cry of gratitude that the Hebrews would express to God. And you find it especially being used during the Passover, dayenu, dayenu. Cry of gratitude. Here's what it means. It means simply this, that it would have been enough. If God, if you just saved me, it would have been enough. If I just would have had the opportunity to see my grandson that one more time, it would have been enough. I remember when they had to do a diagnosis on me. They thought I might have cancer in 2018. By the way, that that word, scary word, the unknown with it, the uncertainty with it. Some of you know. You've experienced it. You've gone through maybe some different uh, treatments. So for, I think, a month, I had to wrestle the, hey, I might have cancer kind of thing. And, And God really helped cultivate in me that, you know what? If I don't have another day, die in you what you've done in my life would have been enough die in you it's what God wants to cultivate in us and and it really comes from this rejoicing this gratitude that where we show him and you know what it becomes contagious that's why church we can't just hoard our joy we have to share it with others we've got to get it out amen so two things I'm asking you to do they're simple but they're not always easy because they're going to change up your day and your routine a little bit first one is you're going to what reflect before you go to bed the second thing you're going to do is you're going to rejoice throughout the day you're going to find ways to to give god praise to rejoice in who he is in your life or what he's doing in your life what he's doing in other people's lives reflect rejoice why because i want you to be able to imagine that you're nehemiah that you're able to proclaim to your family to your friends that man the joy of the lord is my strength you know 
Church, nothing can keep you from God's joy but you. It's the truth. Nothing can keep you from being, understanding, experiencing God's joy but yourself. There are some of you, you hear me talking about joy and how God sings over us and God is joyful. And you've never experienced that. You have trouble even fathoming it. Your narrative is that God's always angry at you or you can never please him. And there are some of us, if we're really honest, we're far from God. You need to know, there's not a one of us that knows Jesus that weren't, wasn't there at one point. But in the Gospel of Luke, it's really cool how Jesus drives home his joy. He, he gives these three stories. Stories about, man, um, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lost coin, there's lost sheep, and there's a lost son. And so he gives these parables, these stories. And when the thing that is lost is found in every single parable, this is the story. This is the outcome. This is the theme. He says, rejoice with me for what was lost was found. Have joy with me. Rejoice with me for what was lost has been found. In fact, when he gets to the last parable, which is on about the prodigal son being lost, and the son comes home, the father runs out and greets him. And he says, man, kill the fatted calf. Pull out the frozen cheesecake. We're having a party. The theme isn't, oh, you should have made this decision a long time ago, son. He just rejoiced over the, the homecoming. Now listen, there's a homecoming that we're going to go heaven to someday. And we're going we're to stand before him. But, but there's a homecoming right now for some of you who are far from God. And God wants to sing over you. God wants you to experience his joy. But it starts with his forgiveness. It starts with you owning up the fact that you've been living for yourself or you've been living for others, but you haven't been living for him. And if you're honest, you're far from him. No one else may know it. You may be even the most moral person in the house, but you know you're far from him. It's time to come home. He wants to hold you. He wants to sing over you. So I want to just lead you in a prayer. But before I do that, I want to know who I'm praying with. So I'm going to have you raise your hands when I get to three. I'm going to have everyone bow their heads now and close their eyes. If you're in the house and you know that you are far from God, when I get to three, I want you to raise your hand. If you say, Rick, that's me. I, I've been away from God or I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I'd love to know his joy. I want him to rescue me. If that's you, then shoot your hands up in the air when I get to three. One, God loves you. Two, it's time to come home. Three, shoot your hand up in the air if that's you. Thank you, sweetheart. Up in the risers, thank you. Make eye contact with me. As soon as you do, we can, you can put your hands down. Thank you. I think there's some hands over here on the floor I may have missed. Raise your hand up. Just wave it at me. Thank you. In the risers over here, thank you. Anyone else? I'm just going to span over to my right. Ah, thank you, sir. Put your hands down. Amen. Thank you. Love it. Thank you for your honesty. I'm going to have everybody now repeat this prayer after me. It's not magic. What makes this prayer relevant is your honesty you owning the words you making them your own and I would encourage everybody if you're comfortable just open up your hands and lay them on your lap just sign of surrender and repeat these words after me dear heavenly father thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to rescue me I confess that I've fallen short that I have sinned that I've been proud, that I've been selfish. But today I'm asking for your forgiveness. Come Holy Spirit, reside in me 
Teach me this joy. May it be my strength. May the joy of the Lord be my strength. And of all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.